Well, hello everyone, and uh, welcome to Dance Exchanges Dance Insights Online, uh, where I'm here. I'm Carlos Montguerra. I'm an uh, artist in residence at Dance Exchange, and I am uh, in, joined here by Annabel Lopez Ochoa, international independent choreographer, who probably doesn't need an introduction because she's worked for some of the most amazing companies in the world. She's had an incredible career working for companies such as New York City Ballet, Cuban National Ballet. Uh, English National Ballet, Scottish Ballet, like the, the list is endless. Um, in the UK, we know her works especially for Scottish Ballet, where she choreographs Streetcar Named Desire, Ballet Black, and also uh, English National Ballet. Hello, Annabelle. Thank you very much for joining us here today. Hi, Carlos. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's a pleasure, the real pleasure. Um, I'm having a little aperitif. Uh, yes, it is. I'm joining you with the Rioja from Argentina. Fantastic, and having a vermouth with a bit of grapefruit. <laughs> so first of all, Annabelle, the question that everyone's dying to know, how are you keeping your hair like that so glamorously in times of lockdown? I just wash it right before a Zoom uh, conference. <laughs> wow. uh, no, as a woman, you know, you can just let it grow and still look okay. And I have no fear with, the, with my scissors. If I feel that it doesn't fit well, I just go. And, you know, I do a little bit of Picasso sometimes, but that's okay. <laughs> not gonna talk about my nails thank god they're under the table here oh okay okay well i, I won't i won't go there <laughs> but i for sure i feel like a bit picasso-ish in my head as well i won't i won't turn around if you see me like start to turn just don't because the front looks good but the back is uh could be in the roof <laughs> or at the tape model maybe <laughs> So, Annabelle, the UK, well, in the world, actually, just re uh, recently uh, saw Broken Wings, one of the ballet you made for English National Ballet based on the life and works of Frida Kahlo, uh, which was streaming online um, maybe last week. Wonderful reaction. I myself saw the work uh, when it premiered in uh, London and I, was, I saw you in the process. Really fantastic work, really strong narrative. And I, because I myself always kind of always work in narrative dance. I just wanted to know what attracts you to narrative? Um, I think that as a dancer, I always, you know, I, I performed a lot of abstract work that I always needed an intention. And so I would just invent my own stories in this very abstract work to the point that, you know, even my colleagues were making fun of me. Uh, and that sort of remained as a choreographer that I needed some theatricality or certain line of you know narrative until in 2012 I was invited by the Scottish Ballet and uh, you know they asked me to choose a, a story and I came with Streetcar Named Desire because I didn't know that it was had been made as a ballet which afterwards I found out that it had been a ballet and uh, yeah I, I like the challenge it's very hard to create a narrative it's you know easier to have a 25 minute ballet full of beautiful duets and lifts and yeah. um so i like the challenge uh it, it really it, it you know it makes me old it makes me age five years in one production <laughs> um but you know it's it's great to be able to convey uh you know relationships between people and a story without words and you know trying to be as creative as possible to have that going yeah i agree i think like it's, it's like it's uh, i mean i i I find abstract work or work that's just purely physical very hard because I need a, a, an intention or a character to make movement. So it, it's, I find it hard to make movement without an intention behind. Mm -hmm. But I agree that there's like a, a challenge with every narrative work that's, that's tremendous. Because it's, if it's, for example, if you write a novel or to, to do a, a write a play, it's already hard to figure out why a character would do this or why a character would do that. 
But then to express why a character would do any of those things in movement, it's so much harder. <laughs> and sometimes I do think, can we just use words and say it? <laughs> well, but at the same time, I think that we are, you know, we are physical beings and our body language says so much more and so much more secrets that we don't say in words. So I love observing, you know, people and, and you know, relationships to see when people lie, when they're uncomfortable, when they're, you know, what is, I love to look at the psychology of yeah. the body language. Yeah. And uh, by doing so for many years, I think that now I can use all those observations and put them on stage when I, you know, create my, my narratives. Yes. Yeah. A lot of your narratives have like some very um, kind of like passionate um, love relationships. And I'm thinking, you know, Frida and Diego in Broken Wings or Stella and uh, Stella and Stanley in, um, in the streetcar, um, even by a, a Little Red Riding Hood that you made for, um, for Ballet Black also had, it was a sense of a story of coming of age of a, a girl coming into her womanhood and the eroticism that, that, that surrounds that. Uh, what attracts you to these kind of like passionate uh, love affairs and, and, you know, and the sense of sensuality that I feel is very strong in your work? Uh, well, I think as a contemporary dancers and, you know, contemporary ballet, uh, I mean, works are much more physical than, than ballet. Ballet is much more formal. You have the tutu, it creates a distance. Yeah. Um, and the syllabus is also more into shapes as opposed to, you know, the... I would say the, the natural way of, you know, contemporary dancers uh, moving around each other. So I think that I try to combine that aestheticism of contemporary dancers, uh, physicality into a balletic environment. And yeah. therefore, you know, it, it turns out to be sometimes a little more erotic yeah. than what we're used to see. And also, you know, sexual energy is, is very strong energy in our society, in our lives. And so it would be a shame to uh, not show it as a human aspect. Yeah. True, I agree. Like, I think like for me, <clears throat> I personally feel like in life anyway, like what, one of the things that this separates us from animals in, in the broader sense, like our sense of desire and, and lust and love that is very different to how other animals experience it. And for me, like this- desire... animals have a lot of lust. Yeah, they do, they do actually. You're right, you're right, you're right. But in a different way, perhaps you're like, you know, like, I, don't, I, I think like obviously the, the, as humans, you know, love because there's a whole dance of of uh, seduction. Yeah. Well, I think no. There's also a whole dance of seduction between animals. Too. <laughs> yes, yes, True. Um, True. But you know, I feel like it's I don't know, like maybe for you know, as as, as humans, you know, like we, it's it's not only like seduction and lust, but it's I feel it's the need to sometimes to own someone to feel that like you're owning that person or that you feel owned by someone else or perhaps the you know the, the just the need to be accepted by another person or you know or the, the need or sometimes the desire to be able to reject people you know I think we, we have a complex kind of uh you relationship know, to love and sex to love and yeah that I but I feel that ultimately in many cases it's kind of like what defines us most as humans uh so for me you know if you're if you're, if you're making work about humans it's inevitable to come across desire, love, and lust. Yeah. Uh, and I particularly really enjoy working on duets in Paradeo where, you know, there is that whatever the love relationship is, whether it's a hateful one or a toxic one or a beautiful yeah. one, I, I find it thrilling because I, think, I see that we reflect our own relationships in it somehow. Yeah. Also, yeah, I, I find also as a choreographer, my flaw is that, or my weakness is that I, I'm, I find making a solo very hard. 
I prefer to have two two bodies, two people to create a duet also because of the interaction. There's sometimes something that you cannot control as a choreographer is whatever that chemistry is between these two dancers that are in front of you. Yeah. So that always adds to, you know, you come with a plan in a studio and then you t- it turns out to be completely different by the end of the day. Yeah. That's nice that that's yeah. been added. Yeah. And it's amazing as well when you like, when you, when, you know, when two dancers who didn't, especially if you're working maybe with a new cast or dance or, or a kind of like a freelance project where the dancers don't necessarily know each other and suddenly you put them together and it's like fireworks. <laughs> Yeah. And that's really, really wonderful to to experience in the studio and on stage. And it's really like, oh, wow, when it happens, especially I find when, you know, when it's people who you wouldn't necessarily put together, like someone who's like super, super tall and someone who's super, super short or, or, you know, people who like just wouldn't, you wouldn't think they'd be natural partners. Yeah. But when it happens, it's like, wow. It's also nice to see uh, dancers falling in love during the process. It can be sometimes problematic, but yeah. <laughs> yes, sometimes they can go the wrong way. But yeah, um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was uh, it's I, I feel like seeing your work and looking at my like we, we both have a, an attraction to what I would call, uh, for lack of a better term, trash art. You know, like uh, we're, we we both like a bit of vaudeville, we both like a bit of cabaret, a bit of melodrama, a bit of you know pop art at some point references. You know, uh, talk and the thing is, especially in your case, that I find that you you take this kind of like trashier art, this more popular art, and you put it into places where we normally find high art, you know, the, the, the big classics and, you know, Shostakovich. And we're more like with a banjo on our knees. <laughs> what is the attraction uh, to the kind of like the more, the, you know, like this, this you know, this, um, this trash art, this, this lower forms of art that we, well, so-called lower forms of art? Uh, I think it's, it's uh, you know, finding ways to, to tell something or to convey a theme or, um, a, you know, relationship between dancers sometimes needs, you know, popular music or, you know, rancheras as opposed to uh, some, you know, like you said, Shostakovich. Um, so I like to, to go between one and the other. Uh, depending one is, I would say that the more it's a narrative, the more I go to what you call trash art uh and the more it's abstract the more it can go to higher art and you know be completely just you know i don't know visual and and sculptural um yeah i I don't fear the popular art uh as long as it is you know made in in such as long as it, it is dosed in such a way that it is you know to show an aspect of a character yeah. Um, and also for dynamic changes to to make it more alive. Then, especially when you have very dramatic stories, sometimes you need a, a light note, and so yeah. you go a little bit more into you know a, a Broadway moment, so that you can go back into you know like with Street Corner in Desire. I had a you know a little dance with some umbrellas of colors, and then she comes home and she gets completely drunk, and it just goes <laughs> down from there on. But that was you know to. Um, to clean the palette for more drama sometimes. Yes. So it's, it's a tool. Yeah. It's fun also. <laughs> I guess like that for me as well, it's, um, you know, through exploring, especially studying, you know, some writers or, or artists who have like turned to this kind of like forms of art, the more popular art. I think that there's some, I find it like, you know, there's a, there's a beauty sometimes in things that 
generally society would deem ugly or you know there's it's a beauty in something that's dirty sometimes and that's broken and that isn't like that the sound isn't great or that it's it's like a it's, for example you know I and mean, we both use a Chabela Vargas you know and we use a musical one you know by kind of like classical standards of singing like her voice is by no means like some sort of lyrical beauty or what you would associate to a woman singing or you would associate but you know there's a harshness and a simplicity to, it's a hardness to her voice and a simplicity to the rhythm that she uses and a strength to the words, which again, she's always talking about being drunk and tequila and heartbroken. But like, um, here we go. Oh, yes, bye. <laughs> but, like, you know, there's a simplicity and there's a, there's a rawness to it and a reality to it that sometimes when you hide, when you know, when it's behind, you know, Mozart, you don't really. Get because sometimes you're talking, you know, you, it, I think this kind of art maybe represents humanity or aspects of humanity, which are maybe a little bit more real, a, bit, a little bit more genuine. A bit more run down. Run down, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's the, that's the word, yes, run down. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's nice to, so, I mean, you know, you're also a, a storyteller. It's in order to make a character likable, you have to show the flaws. Yeah. And the strength. Otherwise, they they're just not human. Yeah, you know, they're too perfect. And I think it's the same with the choice of music. If it's too pristine, pretty, uh, you know, fitted, you don't really enter them. So sometimes it's nice. And also to just you know use silences because music always makes you know life uh, pretty. Yeah. Um, you know, so when I, whenever I want to show pain, I just take all the music away because yeah. that's really uncomfortable for a viewer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are you know I think tools to to tell stories. Yeah. And for I guess like I guess for me as poets, it, it's such you know like it's there's uh, there's um, you know uh, it can lead to an engagement with the audience that's on a level that is it's, you know, sometimes can be more face to face. Um, and it's interesting because then it, it's opening the door for them to then explore what you're saying in a, in a different way. Yeah. Another question I wanted to ask, which is um, for you, what role does the audience have when you're making dance? You know, so from the studio, is the audience present in your brain? What role does the audience have in dance making? Well, I'm hoping that I am my worst audience ever. <laughs> So I always say to dancers, you know, I create the, the, the first um, studio rehearsal that you create a duet, for example, it's all exciting. And then, you know, you come the next day and you're like, oh, at that moment, <laughs> I'm bored. So I guess when I say that and I can, you know, I communicate that with my dancers, it's because I put myself into the viewer seat yeah. and think, okay, Annabelle, I think you can be a little bit more entertaining or bit more inventive or yeah we've seen that do uh, that thing again so yeah unconsciously maybe I always have the viewer there that they are and not entertained but engaged yeah uh, not just with the story but you know choreographically with the light changes the costumes so and you know because I travel a lot so I create for many different kinds of audiences so work that I make for ballet hispanical might not work at Dutch National Ballet just because yeah. it's a different audience that comes to the show. Yeah. So that's that's always exciting to to think, you know, who am I making it for? 
but still stay true to who I am and what is it that I want to tell. Yeah. I think like, I agree. Like for me, it's, it, you know, it's ultimately dance is about communicating. It's about, you know, it's about um, yeah, dialoguing with, with people. Um, and I think, you know, there's a, maybe an artistic line of thought that it's actually what the art, it's, it's all about the artist and it's all about what the artist feels and thinks and the audience is unimportant. You know, it's all about the, the artist. And I feel that that's a bit like masturbation, <laughs> like, and, you know, and I feel that dance making, your choreography should be more like love making with someone, you know, like you're sharing with someone, you're not doing it to yourself. Um, and but we also need that kind of art because I think, you know, the, what you call the difficult masturbational art, um, it it's challenges the audience to look at dance in a more open way instead of every, having everything chewed. Uh, you know, these artists that make those sorts of, you know, uh, work, I'm happy they're there because they, they help me yeah. sometimes, you know, taking uh, more complex avenues because an audience has been educated to watch this and yeah. you know, feel lost or not understand thing, which, which is fine, you know, as long as it's contained and not three hours long, but, you know, a good one hour and you're like, okay, I, have, I think I need, a, yeah, I need to go to university to understand what just happened. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I, do, I do appreciate that work that is done. It's just that I think that as an artist, and I'm inspired by, you know, the world of Frida Kahlo and who she was, is I try to stay as honest to who I am as a person and also in daily life. So I'm not an intellectual kind of person. So I will not put those pieces. I will be more entertaining because my, you know, Latin background makes me wear a yellow dress like today and drink, you know, uh, wine. Um, but I do, yeah, I do uh, respect very much that art. And I think it yeah. does help my art. Yeah. And maybe together, you know, we give an interesting, yeah, art. You know, you can choose in which mood you are to go see work. Which I guess like, leads me to another question. You know, I think like there's, at least in the UK, there's recently been a debate about whether dance or art, in the larger word, is, that's entertaining loses intellectual value. And I've, I mean, I, in my, you know, you know me, I do a lot of research. I, I, I think, you know, I, I write a lot and, 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 I'm, and I'm very interested in, you know, in history and things like this. And I try to put it all into the work. I mean, I for sure don't consider myself to be like a, one of, a high intellectual in the least. I do find that entertainment or, or, or thinking about what might entertain, what might seduce an audience member can lead into intellectual thoughts through an easier doorway. Just kind of like guiding you, they kind of like lubricating your way into 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 uh, intellectual thought. What do you think, though? Like, do you think that entertainment and intellectual entertainment is very hard to do? Entertainment that is not well done falls flat. Mm-hmm. It's it's easier to make uh, an intellectual piece of art that that is hard to 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 follow because you know an audience will ask themselves is it supposed to feel that long you know and and entertainment is is, you know like okay now next now next and it's very hard so i i feel it that it's high art uh but it can feel like you know an easy sandwich as opposed to a three-course menu yeah french restaurant with like small you know portions um but it's very hard to make it is it is it is it is 
and you know, and I feel like you know, it's it's even if you, when you're talking about, I mean, I myself have a, a problem with the term entertainment because it, you know, not the term itself, but just like people hear it and you think that you want to make people laugh all the time. You know, you can entertain people by making them cry. You can entertain people by making them because it's a whole range of emotion. I guess I interpret that a little bit as just having consciousness of presenting work for people and you know and work that might entice them somehow um, yeah. as you know as opposed to work that maybe doesn't contemplate that at all yeah i mean i think that every artist is is well i'm i'm hoping so every artist is finding a way to communicate in a certain way yeah. um with an audience and sometimes it's by being you know subdued and 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 trance you know some some works are you 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 don't like it the first 10 minutes and then you get into a trance and you're like, Oh my God, this was amazing. Yes. Three hours of Aunt Teresa, the care smacker and people leaving the auditorium in Edinburgh. It happened to me and I stayed and I stayed. And by the end I was just blown away and I felt really sorry for the people leaving the auditorium. So it, it's different kind of arts and, yeah. and it's just not the kind of art that I would make because it's not in my nature, but yeah. uh, I do appreciate it. <laughs> likewise, likewise. Um, on, on that note as well, and looking, looking at your wonderful yellow dress, uh, <laughs> we, we both are from Hispanic heritage uh, through different journeys, but we're both there. And I think that, you know, in, 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 I think in most of my works and in some of yours, like our, our Hispanic, I think even in, probably to some way in some way in all of your works our hispanic heritage just like somehow kind of like comes through in the choreography and i was just wondering what is it about hispanic or latin culture that is for you um, lends itself so well to the stage uh, well first of all that latin side of me was not um present at all before 2009 so this is something of the last 11 years yeah. uh I was raised in, in, in Belgium in a white neighborhood. I have a, you know, a white mom with blonde hair and blue eyes and a Colombian father. And I thought that I was white too, because, you know, I was looking like my mother, but completely wrong. Um, and, you know, I thought that we, I should, you know, we should all aim to be the next Hans Fermana in Holland to be taken seriously. Yeah. So I was, you know, paving my way as a young choreographer until Eduardo Villaro, the director of Luna Negra Dance Theater in Chicago at the time, approached me because he had heard that I was Latin completely. I never had done anything with that music. And he says, well, I want to invite you, but you have to use your, your Latin background. I was like, excuse me, that, that is for you. That's nobody's allowed to know that I'm Latin. So I was really, I didn't think that it would, you know, matter at all to put that on stage. Yeah. And so I did, you know, Nube Blanco, uh, at, you know, in 2009 and I used the, uh, you know, Mexican rancheros of Maria Dolores Pradera and the premiere was at the Harris Theater, sold out house and the audience just ate it. They were like amazing standing ovation, screaming. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm communicating with an audience with something that was so personal because I grew up as a, you know, as a child listening to these songs that I hated because my yeah. parents were putting this Spanish music and my neighbors were Belgian and I was embarrassed that I didn't fit in completely. So from that moment on, I thought, okay, so I need to be more, you know, accepting this side because I'm, I'm a mix and, you know, and 
I became more and more Latin. I learned the Spanish language from, at a very late age. <laughs> and, you know, and I learned to put on uh, Maria de los Pradera when I was, you know, doing laundry, like my mother, actually. And uh, here I am using, you know, this Latin side shamelessly on stage because it's part of who I am, but also part of my culture and my upbringing. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, I, I, making Frida in Dutch National Ballet in Holland, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to use you know some Chavela Vargas. It's going to be so weird here in February, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, and misplaced. But I was so proud that I could share something of my background to an audience, and that they could be touched with yeah. it, although they didn't grow up with it like me. So it's new sound to them. Um, yeah. So yes, now I'm, I'm really proud of having that and. And I think it, it adds, you know, some dynamic. Yeah. I, mean, I think I, like, it's, I, I definitely, obviously, I, I did grow up in the Canary Islands and then I moved to England when I was 17. And then kind of like I stayed, I've been in England since. So it was like half of my life now. Um, and I guess similar to you, I mean, I've always been Spanish. So like you've always been Canarian. So I've always been there. But it wasn't actually until I was kind of like displaced from that that I even asked even started asking what wondering what that was and mm -hmm. wondering you know um and then kind of like looking back and, and kind of like trying to really identify like what it was it was actually through starting working in america and south america through invitation of ballet hispanico as well that I started especially wondering what my links with latino culture were and obviously canary islands where they are is such a bridge between america and europe and spain and you know and so yeah, so it's, I guess like through a lot of the work that I'm doing, I'm just trying to figure out what my history is and what my cultural identity is. But then also I do, and I think we both agree, like it's, it is compared to some other, for example, European cultures, it is a highly performative culture in itself. Like, you know, like life in, in some countries, Hispanic countries, it's a show, like it's a performance. It's a show, yes. <laughs> People talk very loud. They use a lot of words. They do a lot, a lot of, you know, gestural movements. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, themselves yeah but yeah there's also this um it, it feels old-fashioned this you know like back to the roots all these songs are from the 50s 60s 70s um yeah. and it's nice when the recordings sound so old yes yeah. they just yeah yeah, yeah it's it they're they're they're, uh, they're, they're there's there's i mean I, like also that i mean it was like discovering like a wealth of music and like and some of it is also like a completely bizarre and absurd and like um really great uh one of the things i've definitely like i feel i've inherited from hispanic culture is like superstition and uh, a sense of the occult and magic realism i feel like like with your work as well there's like always an element of magic realism or something a little bit magical that might happen in some in a completely mundane situation um, I, for instance, have like this thing. I, I whenever I submit a grant, a funding application, or before a premiere, or or right before I start a project, I have like twenty candles to the Virgin of Guadalupe, to Saint Rita, who's the Virgin of like <laughs> impossible things. Uh, and I'm not a particularly Christian per religious person. It's just like it's not even the the Christian aspect of it. It's almost like. The no, superstition aspect. Superstition. Yeah. And, uh, do you have any quirks or any superstitions? Uh, I grew up with a lot of superstitious, you know, uh, incli inclination. Uh, but I thought it was, you know, it was a waste of my energy. And it's so stressful 
you know, that you're not allowed to whistle in a theater, that you're not allowed to open an umbrella. Very yellow. You're not allowed to go under. It's like, oh my Lord. So I, I just got rid of it and now I'm not superstitious at all. <laughs> Sorry, I just negate that side of my uh, upbringing. <laughs> I can't. I mean, I, I, the, the stage was the theater once. Like, I haven't got so much. It's more like the pre and the, uh, you know, and stuff. In my dressing room, I, I have a little little candle here, the little statue of a virgin or something. That's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's therapy. <laughs> also, because I don't like flying, so I always take them with me when I'm on an airplane, just in case. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. What a stress. <laughs> So Annabelle, you've uh, very kindly uh, shared, you're going to share one of your words uh, with us, uh, Le Biche, by, uh, which you choreographed for Win Win on 2014? 2014, yes. 14, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about the work? So I was asked uh, by the director of the company called Olivier Weber's to make a piece. It was, I think, the third or the fourth time he had invited me. But this time I would only work with the four ladies. And I was like, oh, God. So that means no partnering work. I had done already two pieces about female behavior. I was like, there I go. What can I do? And so um, I decided that it should not look feminine. I wanted to have creatures with a female energy. But at the same time, having that female behavior. And yeah. so in other pieces of mine before I had, you know, ladies on high heels, ladies with long hair, and you know, you had a hair trick and the hair toss. And I thought I want them to be bold. I want them to have no dresses, just in a leotard. And, and so I created something that was quite sur- surrealistic. Yeah. And yeah. what I like about it is that it really helped me prepare, you know, one of the surrealistic uh, scenes of Frida Kahlo, with the long leaves, the long nails and the long leaves uh, uh, on their finger. And so, yeah, it was, it was fun to make because at the same time, it was not like a dance phrase that you choreograph. It's really like a play and they have to react, but um, the language of the movement with these nails, because they, you know, it's like, it's all over the place and otherwise you can, you know, lose one. Uh, The partnering was also hard. So I had to really find a new language of movement and, you know, I, I couldn't do it because I wasn't wearing the nails. So I really, we really created it together with the dancers. So I have very fond memories of that piece. Oh, great. I'm look, really looking forward to watching. It's um, along with, it's uh, being streamed today from Wednesday until Friday, as well as a little short duet I made for Rumbird five years ago, I think. It's a male duet, kind of similar thing. I was exploring male behavior uh, I'd been doing that for a little while, but I was like, oh, what, what do we want to make? What, what do I want to do with this one now? Um, and I guess kind of like due to personal situations where I thought I was in the relationship where we were just yapping at each other all the time, uh, it became a duet about cockfights, uh, cockerel fights, which mm-hmm. are very common in places like Mexico and they used to be common in Spain, in Asia. So again, we developed a, a, a masculine kind of like behavior that wasn't like the it was just actually based on the birds, on these kind of like cocky birds. Um, it was really fun to make. Uh, very nice actually to step out of the human and to go somewhere that's kind of like an abstraction of the human, but it's, you know, and you've got something else there. Yeah. And as to the title, sometimes people think that it has, uh, you know, Le Biche. Ah, yes. They think that I am, you know, honoring Nishinskaya's piece, Le Biche. 
but not at all. It's so much more, you know, popular arty uh, sense of it. It's, I was looking for a title and we were, you know, having lunch and there was this one dancer and he was having his sandwich and suddenly I was like, oh, which title, which title? And he was like, bitches. <laughs> and then there was this huge silence and I, you know, continued my conversation with the director. And then I turned to this, this dancer and I said, you know, that's amazing. So the title should be bitches. Okay, how about we put it, a French accent to it <laughs> and call it bitch. <laughs> so yeah and then it turned out that you know Nijinskaya had made a piece a very famous piece called Le yeah. so but it has nothing to do with Nijinskaya the beach okay okay I was going to say that's a very costume very ornate ballet <laughs> I like that it's like it's a nice way it's a softer way of like uh, of saying what you really mean <laughs> <laughs> exactly when you want to be a bit posh, instead of saying bitch, you say bitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, that's funny because I, I was mentoring a, a young uh, dancer the other day, and she was saying, "Oh, what is it like to? What's your advice for like um, directing, or you know how you should be with people?" And I said, "Like, I think for me, from my experience, as much as possible, be yourself. Just be yourself when you're in the studio. I said, just be yourself. Be humble." And then, unless you're a bitch, if you're a horrible person, don't be yourself. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> be, be yourself as long as you're good. But if you're a bitch or you're an asshole, don't be yourself. <laughs> oh, good one. I will remember that one. <laughs> Have you got any, like, any, like, burning tip for any, any young dancer or any young choreographer that might be watching? Yeah, don't try to be trendy. Just believe in, in, in being you. And even though if it's not successful in the beginning, um, it, even if it's not successful in the beginning or it will never be successful, it makes you happy yeah. more to be yourself and to be honest and true to what you want to say and how you want to say it than try to be trendy and successful by copying, imitating, faking, pseudoing, you know. Yeah. So that that's the only what I say to young, young choreographers, uh, it's, it's scary to be yourself because nobody's, you know, waiting for you to, to come along. Uh, but at some point you will, you will, you know, you'll find your platform. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Very good. My tips would be, say, be yourself unless you're a horrible person, but then also <laughs> never make a show with a table. It's, <laughs> it's the most difficult thing to tour ever. Like it's the most <laughs> A show of a table, unless you've got a very big budget and a whole team behind you. And number three, uh, buy a lot of black clothes, which is what you taught me, Annabelle, when I was <laughs> Buy a lot of black clothes so that when you're touring, you know, they, they take longer to get dirty. So <laughs> I told you that, I remember. Oh my God. Yes, it, it, it helps sometimes when you're in a hotel or something from where, where, where there's no laundromat and you're like, holy crap. Yes. so it's going to take two weeks to get to the London yes, yes. a lot of black clothes and it slims you down it does it does it does and when you you know you by accident pour your wine on it nobody sees it so. exactly <laughs> oh my god you can you can feel that we're at the end of our glass and this is Getting you know it. generating but <laughs> Well, thank you so much for having me not live, 
yeah. these uh, technological problems we had in the beginning. Um, but yeah, it was wonderful to be with you. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure as always. Hopefully, our, 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 uh, you know, it's, we've, we've inspired somehow <laughs> the, the people who've been watching. Um, and you know, stay everyone, stay home, stay safe. Uh, please tune in to danceexchange.org.uk to check out the wonderful work by Annabelle uh, for Win Win, which is available until Friday. Um, and there's a couple of other bits coming up from, from my end as a curator of uh, Dance Insights Online. And we hope to see you in the stages, in the theaters out there very soon. Thank you. Thank you, Annabelle. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.